everyone. I'm Rachel here with Ari and we're your hosts for the Merry Writer podcast. This week we're on episode 162 and we're asking our guests, how do you transform an unproduced screenplay into a novel? Before we dive into the topic, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening if you haven't already. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with friends and feel free to write a review. Now, please help us welcome Rich Hozek, Arnold Rudnick, and Lord Auerbach to the show. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you all on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Nice to be here. Brilliant. Before we go any further, would you like to tell us a little bit about your background and how you met? I think Arnold should start that one. Yeah, I would agree. So he's saying that because, so Rich and I uh, met in college. We made student films together and community cable in the pre-Wayne's World days. And uh, that was in Illinois. And then we kind of moved out to California together. My wife and I moved out first and then Rich came a little bit later. And then I met Lloyd. I was working at Paramount Pictures in the motion picture feature story department. And this was before the internet, when searches for books for executives and research, that was a big part of my job. And I was tasked with finding the expert on the paranormal for a feature project that never got made. Um, But everywhere I went, I got pointed to Lloyd. So I met him, brought him in for some consultation, and then we became friends and colleagues and, and began working together on a project, which is a project we're going to tell you a little bit about. And uh, and Rich and I were writing as well. Now, subsequent to that, Rich and I became writing partners for decades. And when we committed to each other, because an identity in Hollywood is really important when you're shopping material, uh, Lloyd and I had already developed this project. And we invited Rich into it, since he and I were working on, on a lot of other projects. And the three of us together created a pretty exciting uh, TV pilot. Well, and I've been involved in parapsychology and the, looking at uh, things from a scientific perspective uh, since my graduate school, actually before my graduate school days, I kind of count my entry into the field studying psychic phenomena as 1979 when I started grad school. Um, I was very interested in media. Uh, my, my dad worked for NBC, my uncle worked for CBS. I, I kind of grew up in the television industry in many respects. So I was very well aware of pop culture. And in fact, I'd done a lot of work with media before I met Arnold. Uh, So it was just kind of a natural connection and collaboration on things. And uh, I had already published my first book at that point um, and was working on some others as well, as well as teaching in the graduate program at John F. Kennedy University, something that doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. But uh, it was, I was very much immersed in this, both from the pop culture perspective and also certainly from the scientific perspective. Yeah, and as a partner with Arnold, I mean, we were, we were working on a lot of our own stuff. And when I heard about this project, it was very exciting to me. It was because, first of all, getting to work with someone like Lloyd um, was very eye-opening. It sort of like uh, um, clarified some of the preconceptions I had about the paranormal. But also it was a, a great, story a great chance to sort of take that vehicle into a dramatic format and so when once we sort of all collaborated on together we came up with a really strong screenplay we adjusted some of the characters we adjusted some of the story we added some of our comedic touches to it and we came up with a really great script and then arnold so at that time uh we had some producer interest but they heard that nobody wanted to do the paranormal 
And this, we had a, a female paranormal investigator and a skeptical cop teaming up to investigate, you know, the paranormal. And we were disappointed to hear that. And then the X-Files came out. And so for then the next decade, it was, no, this is too similar. It, it's not the same, but, you know, male, female team investigating the paranormal. It's, it just sat in a drawer and we continued to work on other things, um, many other things. And then, you know, as writing and family and careers, Rich reached out a couple of years ago and said, hey, guys, do you mind if I novelize this the script we had created? And uh, Lloyd and I were both really excited by that. And uh, he took the heavy lifting to get the book uh, created. Um, but we got to be involved both from creating the pilot script 25 years before and all the work adapting, which, which we'll go into, but um, really got to stay involved in that creative process. But we wouldn't be here if, with this book if it weren't for Rich. Oh, shucks. So it's good we brought him in, I guess. I have to say, it seems so strange now, especially, to hear that they didn't want to do paranormal. Yeah. Because I remember when the X-Files came out and I, it, it never really dawned on me that obviously that was one of the biggest things that kind of pushed the paranormal to be so popular in, in culture and everything. Because it is still one of those things that people just love. There's so many shows, so many books, so many movies. And the idea that there was just that time where they went, no, we don't want it. And then literally X-Files came out and then it's like, nope, too similar. I mean, that's that must be a little bit crushing, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, especially since we had gotten such great comments on the script. Mm -hmm. Everybody who read it really loved it. It's just, where does it fit? And we were just ahead right. of our time. And, and there were well, terrible shows on, on the air. You know, there was uh, sightings and unsolved mysteries and a few hours, but they were not scripted shows. They weren't set up for no. this, kind of, this kind of action, so to speak. Yeah, Rich and I had a pilot with Brandon Tartikoff that dealt with the mafia, and he had a tough time. It didn't get made, and that was, you know, right before HBO's The Sopranos and, and the TV. So when you're working in writing, the world, everybody, I mean, even when we start talking about reading minds and extrasensory perception, I mean, we're all, you know, sharing the same material. So it's not really, it, it feels good to know you're on the right track. And it motivates you to continue writing. I've always looked at it as, well, if that idea was done, it means the idea was right. And so just do more. Man, what a good point. I mean, I think it's awesome that you guys were still able to utilize your story just in a different format. Um, because I think it was Rich who said that you guys had the right idea just ahead of your time. Um, I, I love paranormal stuff. And as somebody who is working on a paranormal detective uh, cozy mystery series, I may be reaching out to you guys again to pick your brains. <laughs> um, sure. um, so with all of that said, quick reminder, this episode, we're talking about how do you transform an unproduced screenplay into a novel? Let's start off the conversation by asking, why should you turn your unproduced screenplay into a novel? Intellectual property. And, and, and also the barrier, the barrier to getting the material out. Because as a writer, you know, making money off your project is important in order to keep doing it. But having people read your material, if a book falls in the forest and is never read, does it exist? It's 
we, we need people to read the book, the material, the characters to become invested, to validate the whole prospect. And a script, many fewer people will read a script, both between agent submissions and producers, or even just knowing how to read a script and understand it. Um, many more people read books and stories, and, and it just opens up a wider audience. And, you know, we've gotten reviews now that say this would make a great streaming series. So it's kind of come full circle. Yeah, I mean, it really is. And again, I love the story. I love the characters. I loved what we had done with it. And when I started writing novels and I thought, you know, what do we have anything that would make a great book series? And it's like I went back to my TV roots and says, well, yeah, we've got this great series, these great characters. Let's give them new life. Let's pull this thing out of the drawer and show it to the, to people in a format that can be more easily consumed. And we don't have to go through all the, the hoops of Hollywood to get it out there. So it was it was a, a great thing. And as Arnold said, too, we're hoping that this is going to you know spark interest in the original screenplay. So that's another reason why to do it, because you sort of like get that story out there and people go, hey, you know, this would make a good movie. You go, yep, by the way, do you want to read the script? Then we can <laughs> talk about adapting a screenplay from a book. Yeah. <laughs> but then the other the other aspect for me was it, it gave it gives you a chance to really um, explore the characters. Uh, you When you're writing a screenplay, you're basically writing scenes and dialogue and you're just telling a story within a very rigid structure, a three-act um, format. And when you're writing the novel, you get to sort of get inside the characters' heads. You get to sort of find out what drives them more. You get to find out more about the world of your story that you don't have time to do in a screenplay. So that was very, it was, that was a fun process for me to do. Yeah, I feel like it's it's not anything that I ever really thought about before, but screenwriting yeah there's so many moving pieces to it because even once you have the script down you need to reach out to so many other people to make it a reality whereas a novel especially now with self-publishing you all you need to do you can hire an editor or hire a book cover artist but i mean for the most part if you self-publish you're doing the majority of the work yourself and you can make it a reality regardless whereas like a script yeah you definitely need to go through other people and you need to find the right people to do it let alone finding an audience for it yeah it was a challenge but we when we were writing for television um it really was an exciting time and we got when you when you write a script and you see it come to life on the screen i mean as as a writer there's nothing better than that to sort of see that come to life but there's a lot of other input into it you get creative input interpretation from the actors the way the sets are envisioned by the set designers the way it's directed and all that kind of stuff sort of gets out of your control but with a book yeah you get to actually present your vision the way you originally um, in, intended it and so you get a, a chance to sort of put that version of it out there first before maybe it comes back around and gets made as a as a movie i have to say the idea like as you said scripts aren't easy to read so going in a different direction and creating a novel not only does that mean that you've you've got your screen your screenplay ready if you can you know if it comes back around that is brilliant you've already got that you don't have to go from a novel to a screenplay which always sounds quite difficult because you have to cut out so much of a novel but also 
you see how many movies are made based on books nowadays. It seems to be increasing all the time. So while people are less looking at just reading scripts directly, you are getting people going, this book, this would be a good movie. That'd be a good movie. And also you've got all this, all the readers of that book are almost like built-in fans straight away. Whereas if you have a script writer sending their the work off, getting picked up by... Um, by a company and then making it you're having to start from scratch to build up an audience whereas if you have a novel and readers who then talk about it all over the place which most readers do you've already got this wonderful audience ready to see the movie i mean i i do i love reading books i love watching movies and i like when i see a book that's been turned into a movie as long as i've read the book first <laughs> that's the main thing i like to read the book first but i will always go and watch it even if it's slightly different because it's just a nice take something different on the book see i'm the opposite yeah. I'll, I'll go back and read the book after i see the movie because i i, I first of all I enjoy seeing what changed and then you also get to sort of fill in the, the the gaps that they may have left out of the movie when you read the book or maybe they even changed a little bit which is always kind of cool too uh, yeah, when of three days of the condor, the book was six days of the condor, and it's the same story. <laughs> it lost three days, which just explains the the movie timeline, I guess. Well, and I read the the novel that came out of Star Wars before it before the film, uh, several months before, and there was stuff in there that never made it into the movie. I'm I'm assuming that it was adapted from the screenplay. I don't know that George Lucas actually wrote the novel. But uh, he's credited with the novel. So there was some character, a lot of character development and some other things that didn't make the film that kind of came out in the fan world later on about some of the original names of characters and things. So that was a really interesting thing. But it did hype up for me personally. I was really excited when I heard this movie Star Wars coming out because I knew the book already. And, and I would point out, too, that a lot of really successful movies come from short stories. So you're not, you don't have to commit wholeheartedly just to a novel, um, but existing in a short story. And, and that's, again, because as Rich was saying, the flavor, the material, the weather of the, the story and the characters are there. And there's so much to bring into a screenplay or adapt further. All, you know, all of the Philip K. Dick stories and, and uh, a lot of the really good Stephen King came from his short stories. And then... Uh, you, you find that it's a way of sharing a vision and bringing other people on board for the next step. Can I just say, I didn't even know Star Wars was a book. Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> I didn't either. It yeah, a lot of people first. think that a lot of people thought that because the, the novel came out again. I mean, there's a collection of the all three novels based on the movies, but you know, most people didn't know that it came out uh, several months before um, in 1977. So it was... Uh, kind of an interesting thing when I talk to people about that they look at me like there was a novel <laughs> but it was an I, adaptation I read, it, I read it too Lloyd I, I remember I was in high school at the time and I remember uh -huh. reading it one summer and saying oh this is a really cool book and then the movie came out and I was like oh yeah <laughs> I know what that is I can understand why though it would with all the 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 depth of the characters and the world building, the mm -hmm. amount of extra information you can pack into that in a novel, it would totally make sense. I will probably have to find that and you know read through the because as I said, I did not know this information. Well, I did uh, not know. Yeah, and I worked in the feature department at Paramount. A lot of movies come out based on books that aren't out yet. The the Hollywood industry buys books while they're in manuscript form often and develops the movie and then it kind of correlates with 
depending on the project, obviously a bestseller book is going to help a movie, but a movie is also going to help a book and its sales. So it really depends on the material and the people connected. There are a lot of moving pieces to this. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Did you guys ever envision yourselves as uh, novel writers or were you guys always like, I just want to write movies and TV shows? I, I was an author from six years old. So, and, and would write stories and, and books were it. I mean, what, and, and my hero is O. Henry who created some of the, archetype stories that we all know, even if we don't know them, and yet he died drunk and penniless. So my bar of success is pretty low, <laughs> but, um, except for being remembered. But the movies are just a way to potentially make a little more money as a writer, so you can afford your habit, and also a way to reach even more people. Yeah, I, I started writing short stories, uh, science fiction stories in college. And then I got interested in filmmaking with Arnold. Uh, as he mentioned, we did some a lot of different projects together. And when I moved out to California and I got into the TV business, it was like, this is really cool because it doesn't take as long to write a TV script as it does a novel. And if you're writing for an existing show, it'll get produced and on the air within a couple months. So the turnaround time there is just really fast and very satisfying. And so it became kind of like, it kind of like soaked up all my time during that period. But then once, once, you know, I had a family and things kind of slowed down in that regard, it was like novels became sort of a, a return to my original passion. And so I was able to start with this project here and take something that I already knew the story of. Right. And that's, that's one of the things that you, when you're writing a book, it's like, okay, where do you get your ideas from? Well, we had an idea and just needed to sort of flesh it out. And for me, I'm, I'm hoping to get into novel writing on my own. Um, I did write some science fiction in college, like Rich uh, as well, and actually came close in a few instances of pitching stories and having them accepted by a few TV shows in the 80s and the 90s. Unfortunately, um, I had a close call of the 1980s uh, Twilight Zone, where they had called me. I had submitted some story ideas. They had called me to develop them into short stories for the, the show. And the next day, they called me to tell me that CBS canceled the show. So I've I've had some I've had several things like that happen over the years where I was dabbling in fiction. It had a connection to the paranormal, to what I knew. But in general, um, because of my career path in parapsychology, I've been pushed towards the nonfiction side of things for the most part. Yeah, I, I think it's great though that you have that background though. So if you you know going into fiction with that, that's a great thing already. Rather than having to do a lot of extra research when people don't know anything about a topic, you're already there with all that research and all that knowledge. So. Yeah, and I actually besides the real stuff that we deal with, there's always the claims and what people call us about. So if I if somebody from wanted a, a story that was out there, I, I know all the out there stuff because people have come to me with it quite a bit over the years. Of course, they really believe it's going on for them and it's it's not, but it's still an interesting idea. Yeah, I can see that being like threaded through like a different storyline and everything. But talking of that, so what is the main process of changing a screenplay into a novel? Because I'm assuming it's not as easy as it sounds. Yeah, I'll speak. I'll speak to that because, I, I, as they mentioned, I did the heavy lifting. I mean, the first step is, of course, is to have a great screenplay, right? Because then you've got the story set out in a very, very 
uh, specific format. You've got your three X, you've got your characters, you've got your dialogue and your major scenes all sort of started out for you. But then it's a process of filtering out what doesn't belong in a book and then filling in the parts of the story to connect it so that it goes beyond that three act structure. So for me, it was basically, I, I took the, the script and I started writing the, the book off of the script. And whenever I got to a point where I go, this scene doesn't feel right. I put in something else. And then when I took that out, I had to sort of adjust it and fit it, fit it, fill in another scene later on to sort of make it make sense. And so the process of doing it is basically that constant sort of self-editing the story as you're developing it as a screenplay. The other, the other thing I had a great opportunity to do was to sort of add some additional characters. So the screenplay didn't have as many characters as the novel does. And once I added them and then they started creating their own storylines and create, uh, filling in new chapters and we learn more about them. And I think the other great opportunity you have while you're in that process of converting that is when you're writing a screenplay, you're, you don't get to have those you know, moments where you like tell what this person's thinking unless you're doing some corny voiceover. In the book, you can get inside the, the characters' heads. And as a writer, I'm sure you guys know this too, once the characters get inside your heads, they come to life in there and they start telling you what the story is. And they take you places you didn't expect. And you discover aspects of the story and the characters that you didn't realize even existed until they brought them to life. So getting the, the, the screenplay is a great scaffold upon which to hang the novel. And uh, if you, I think if you read them back to back, you would recognize that the novel came from the screenplay, but you would also see that it was like a little bit more beyond it. It's like you erect the scaffold and you build a nice building behind it. And I think that's the difference between the two. I, I think also, and Rich just touched on this, anytime you're adapting, whether you're adapting a script from a book like you asked about, or adapting a book from a script, or even you write an outline for a spec script and you adapt it, you write it to the full script, you always have to add that special additional amount. Other, otherwise, you're just, you know, it's just words on paper and then there's no feeling to it. I think what Rich described of translating it is a good word because a book, a short story, a movie, a poem, a song, all things that are written exist or succeed when they're in the best form for that medium. So if you're writing a book, you, you look at what makes it a book because just novelizing a screenplay, they do that. They now send out all the Academy nominated, you know, movies in screenplay format. So more people are used to reading those, but it's not, you're not reading a book. Yeah. It's not like, you know, uh, turning a play into a movie. I mean, in that sense, you're basically just filming it. Um, Not if you're doing it well. Even a play into a movie, you open things up. Casablanca. Yeah. Casablanca was an unproduced play before it became a movie. And all of these projects, you can just film a play, and people do that for the experience of a stage, but a play has different constraints. Especially scenery and location. Rich, you said when you were uh, turning the screenplay into the novel and it was almost like a constant self-edit. When you write your books, are you one of those people that writes edits, writes edits, or do you normally just write fully and then go back and edit? In which case, would that have been hard to constantly self-edit as you were writing? No, I, I, I do a lot of editing as I'm writing because 
lot of the times I'll come up with an idea later in the book and I go, Ooh, I got to set this up earlier on and I'll go back and I'll put that in there. I mean, I guess technically I could write a note to myself, but I just worry that that's going to get lost somewhere. And if I do it in the moment, then that may inspire other thoughts and stuff like that. So I think it does take me a little bit longer to get through that first draft when you do that. But I think I've got a better first draft and I, I think I'm closer to the story that I want to tell. Or at least you find that the first 50 pages are always really good. You, you need to be careful <laughs> to not go back and rewrite the beginning too much, whatever you're working on, because you, you're going to rewrite it later. Yeah. And Rich does go back and revise structure. And, you know, we have beta readers who, who come in to understand stuff, too, after. When Rich and I were writing, you know, feature and television scripts, we would always bring over a bunch of actors and give them pizza and hear it out loud. and and Rich, you can also talk about your secret approach to catching all the typos. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the things I, I recommend to writers is when you're editing your book, read it out loud, not not in your head. We have to hear it out loud because physi physi physiologically, the process of converting words to your voice and then hearing them back in your ear follow different pathways in your brain. In fact, I, I record the book, so I, I, I record the audio book, and then I'll read it, and then I'll play it right back, and then I'll hear things that I thought I said, but I didn't say, and I have to go back and fix. And it's a great way to catch those last-minute typos, too. It's like, oh, hey, this, this word is the wrong word. I'm missing a word here. <laughs> no one, eight people have read this already, and no one noticed that the word four is missing from the sentence. And so hearing it out loud, do it going through that process, even if you are not intending to release an audiobook, I think is a key step in making sure that you've got a not only a, a polished uh, edited manuscript, but that the story makes sense, that the dialogue sounds good to you. Yeah, and, and I'd really stress anybody, anything you write, whatever format, use, surround yourself with that edit group so that you have people read it you correct things, you prove things, because every time you send something out, if people can't follow it or don't understand it, or if it's filled with typos, it just brings down the entire industry. So. Yeah, that's really solid advice because I do read my work out loud. I usually read it to the dog uh, when she's trying to sleep and I act it out and then she gets annoyed and she leaves. Um, but I've never thought about recording it my, I never thought about recording myself, reading it, and then listening back to it as I read along like an audiobook. I mean, I got I got the equipment. I co-host a podcast. Do you think I yeah. would have figured this out by now? But I'm going to have to try that and see it because I'm sure it makes a huge difference. I, yeah, I it, watched the YouTube of reading to the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with the dog's reactions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Where is she? Oh, she left. Yeah. yeah. So she's already sick of the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, and that's and that's a process too. I developed. I, I I do a weekly short story uh, fiction podcast too. Um, so it it sort of not only helps you helps me to sort of like you know have something in between books, but it really I think refines my writing, my writing style, and you know those those sorts of gra grammatical things that you don't notice when you're writing. Your brain kind of hides them from you. They become really apparent when you convert it to audio. Yeah. Do you guys know NaNoWriMo? Yeah. Yeah. Like years ago, uh, did you know that they used to have a separate thing called Script Frenzy? No, I didn't know that. 
Yeah, they did. Um, it wasn't as popular. So now they have two Camp NaNoWriMo sessions a year instead of just the one. But every April, they used to have script frenzy. And it was the same thing as NaNo. It was just writing, I think, 100 pages of a script or something like that. I forget. And I did try it out for a couple of years. And I really enjoyed the process. I don't have any of those scripts anymore because I think they got lost in the void of, you know, Wi-Fi and the Internet. But it was a really cool process. And I like how you said that it just refines your skills at a, as a writer, whether you're transforming a screenplay into a novel or vice versa, or you're writing just one or the other. Because um, it, it really is. It's an experience and you, you learn a lot, not only about yourself, but just like you're honing your skills and stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, pushing yourself, trying different things working in different mediums is I think always a great thing. Even if you don't intend to do anything with it, it's an exercise to sort of expand your creative toolbox. Right. And no, I agree. Right. Yeah. Everything you write, there's, there's nothing wasted, but I see a lot of people write the same thing over and over. And sometimes you need to move on to a different project and write that bringing what you've learned from an earlier project. And, and then you can always go back to the other one. Um, you know, I give a lot of people notes on scripts, and unfortunately, sometimes it's it feels like it's a page one rewrite. The reality is everything is a page one rewrite. Even if you choose to not make a single change on those pages, you have to make that choice as opposed to just ignore what you've you've written and how it fits in. Yeah, you're right, though, that the, those first pages do get the most attention, but they, sh they deserve the most attention, too, because if you don't grab your reader right Absolutely. from the beginning you're going to get lost. Sure. And, then, and of course, if, you, if, I, if I put something aside for even a few days, I have to go back and reread what I wrote to get back into it. And when you do that, it's like, oh, I can add this here. Let me change this scene around a little bit. And then I finally get to the new page. It's like, oh, I only got like a couple hundred words done. But I did some good writing. We, we've got some unproduced other feature scripts that we pull out and we're like, that was pretty good. <laughs> what, what happened to that? Yeah, more books. <laughs> maybe it's always a nice surprise when you reread your work and you're like oh that was that was a good one <laughs> it's like a nice little surprise but speaking of skills what skills do you need to write a screenplay and a novel and like what difficulties can arise when you're changing one to the other yeah i i think key is dialogue i i when you're thinking about cross crossing over between the two the dialogue is so important and the, the thing about dialogue in both movies and books is that it sounds real, but it's not how real people talk, right? It's, you know, it's very carefully scripted and you ha have to construct the sentences so that you don't repeat words too often so that they, they have a certain rhythm to them. But when people are talking in a conversation, that's not how they talk. But when you're reading the book, if it, if it's, if it, if you wrote, did a transcription of a real conversation, people would say this feels awkward or it doesn't sound natural. So getting that sort of that, um, that sweet spot where it sounds natural, even though it's not is, is key. And again, reading it out loud, in fact, getting like our own mentioned too, getting other people to read it out loud to you is very helpful in sort of identifying those little bits of dialogue that don't sound the way they should. Well, and, and let me add, we did cold readings because if an actor came in and knew their part, 
and had a chance to see how it fit in, that's great for a performance, but nothing how an editor or a producer is going to read the script. They're not going to go back to page two and figure out who, if they know who the character is. Um, I think what, what Rich is touching on, there's so many different skills you need, but you don't need to start with one or the other. They develop by doing it. And the more you write and get feedback and hear the feedback, um, you know, there's writing dialogue and then there's on the nose dialogue where you say what you mean. People don't usually say what they mean. They say one thing and mean something else and it's interpreted altogether differently. So there's nuances to structure. There's nuances to, you know, character and dialogue. Um, the thing that amazes me or frustrates me sometimes is so many people are like, I've got a great idea. I'm going to write a book. Nobody says, I've got a great surgery suggestion, I'm going to go operate without medical school, without the effort. And thank God for that, right? I'd much rather that never happen or be a pilot. But, um, you know, people don't always put the work in to writing and they expect the first draft to be the last draft. And you can always fix scripts. That happens in Hollywood all the time because they bring one writer in after the other and they create this collaborative effort. And, and we enjoy television because it's su such a collaborative medium. If you hold on to your idea too much and don't want any feedback, that's great for your diary. But if you're writing for people to read, you know, the reader is part of the, the process too. And so I think, I think the skill you need is uh, tenacity. You need to stick with it. Because if you're only if you only have one idea, a, a noted story guru at a seminar I took many years ago, you know, basically said, if you have one idea and you're worried about someone stealing it, go do something else. Because because it's too much work to take that one idea, try and get an agent, try and get a publisher, try and get a studio, try and get marketed, try and, and nobody's going to take the time to sell you for one idea. It's not that ideas are a dime a dozen, but you need to execute that idea and continue doing it. And the skills that you're asking about, story structure, understanding these things, those come by doing it, getting feedback and redoing. Yeah, that, that is so important. And, and it it's one of those things too, the I, people always say like, you know, I, I, it's hard to come up with ideas. And, but if you just look, I, I just look around my, my room that I've been in for years and I find new ideas all the time, you know, walking down the street, I was driving down the street. I was driving down the street one day and there was a woman pushing a baby carriage on the corner and bam, a story idea came right to me right there. It's like, you know, what if I hit that woman with my car? But what if I knew I was going to hit that woman with my car and I stopped before I hit that woman with my car? some sort of precognition going on there. Right. So it's like, it became a story idea and it's just, you got to sort of grab, snatch those out of the, your experience as they happen and, and transform them and going through the exercise of taking that may not develop into anything. This one actually did, but it's, it's one of those things that when you start opening that floodgate, you find so much material just in your daily life that, could be really, really good and worthwhile to, to, to develop into a book or a screenplay. And, and if you're not an idea person, there's value to having good dialogue or in comedy to being a, a jokesmith or whatever. Yeah. Uh, 
being a specialist, being an expert in the paranormal, being an expert in political science and, and you know, spy stories and the real world, there's so many ways to get in. If you don't have ideas, you can partner yourself with somebody who has ideas and you can bring something else. And it, I've enjoyed writing with partners because again, that, that gives you that editing and that back and forth and test your material, but it is important to decide, like you can't partner with a whole bunch of different people on a million different things because their schedules, your schedule, you know, you do have to create a brand and an identity if you're doing it commercially, if you're doing it as a business. Yeah, one of the, one of the other things I think that is important when you're creating books or, or screenplays, and this is more evident in a screenplay, is, is writing a scene, right? We think about chapters in a book, but a chapter can be a single scene or it can be multiple scenes. It can be moved from room to room within a, a specific chapter. When you write a screenplay, you basically write maybe a paragraph or two describing the location that you're in, the setting. And then the set gets built and you film it. And when you watch it on screen, you see everything that you want to describe. When you're writing a novel, you have to paint that word picture for your reader to sort of immerse them in that environment at that point. And then once you have set everything up, then you have to unfold the action. You have to direct your actors, your, your characters to do certain things, move from one place to another, to say this in a certain position. All those sorts of things, creating a scene is one of the, the aspects, I think, that is another thing that crosses over between the two mediums. And when you become good at that, when you start thinking about your book in a very cinematic way, I think you're going to be more successful in creating scenes that really immerse your, your readers. I like that, especially since I feel like most writers have that initial dream that like they'll publish their book and then they'll get a movie deal or a TV show deal or something. And that, that seems to be like the ultimate dream for most writers. And if you think of it in terms like that and you you think of your scenes as, you know, a set, then, yeah, it definitely helps you paint that picture. And I really do like your whole what if to find ideas and stuff too, because that's such an awesome snowball effect when you do find an idea or you just see something, you witness something and you're like, oh, what if this happened? But what if that happened? And if that does happen, what are some what ifs that just like branch off of that? And then boom, before you know it, you have like a full fledged story idea. Yeah, yeah. when we were doing sitcoms, we kind of came up with a formula where we would come up with ideas of what we were going to do and we wouldn't edit them until we got enough ideas. And then when we were writing, we would come up with choices, three choices for every, every step. If you do too many choices, you're paralyzed and will never finish. And if you do too few or, or only one, that's not really a choice. And every time you're making a direction for your characters, for your story, it is so empowering to make a choice of where you're going and own that it can be wrong and you can go back and change it. But if you give up that, you're the author. You need to know how and what is happening. I gotta be honest. I don't usually know what's happening until after, <laughs> until like I'm editing. 
<laughs> I That's outline what... a lot, but uh, for the most part, sometimes when you have like that writing session and you're like, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm just going to keep typing on the keys and hope something comes that of it. Stream of conscious writing is fantastic. <laughs> and then when you go back to look at it and you make the choice to keep it or what else mm. could I do? And again, that goes back to, you know, writing is rewriting. So, and depending on your own process, that could be in your head. A lot of times I think about the scene and I'm not even at the typewriter or a sheet of paper and I'm coming up with the dialogue and, and many times I've forgotten what I've thought of. And I realize if it was great, I wouldn't forget it. So by the time I sit down to type it up, I've, I've written, you know, on a plane or, you know, before bed and, and I use that time and it, it kind of fits into the whole idea of visualization. Um, another tip from a, from a writing book I loved was if you're writing a script at the very beginning, take a hundred sheets of paper, three hole punch and put Brad's in it in your title page. Cause that's all you need to fill now a hundred blank sheets of paper. So visualizing what you're getting to the finished book, the cover of the book, all of those things, you know, can motivate you. Yeah. I kind of miss the, you know, you watch old movies where a writer sitting at a typewriter and he does a page, he rips it out, puts it on the stack and puts in a new page and starts typing. You don't get that tactile feeling anymore with computers. You just sort of get the little, uh, the word count for this chapter and how many pages this will print out to and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of like the, the slot machines, right? They, they used to like spit out actual coins and now they just make noise. It's like not well, as much fun. And there used to be, I mean, I know that Isaac Asimov talked about having five or more typewriters so that he each one had a different book on it. And I worked with Martin Caden, who was a science and science fiction writer. And he had he refused to go anywhere near a computer. And in fact, when he when I was using a computer near him, it pretty much blew up on me because of his intense mental energy on that point. I have to admit, I started on a typewriter. So I, I miss the kind of the clack, 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 clack. Especially yeah. if you got faster and the scene started generating, you just it just felt more real as you were typing it. Up until you had to edit and then you're like, ah, oh, I've spelt that wrong. Scratch out. <laughs> that. Or you didn't put your paper back in right or anything like that. But <laughs> but I have to say, it always surprises me when anyone ever says, oh, I, I, I'm struggling for ideas. Where do I get ideas from? Probably because I always feel like I have an abundance of ideas to the point where it's like, could you just back off so I can finish something? I just I just need you to stay over there yeah. so I can finish this one project, uh, which I don't do. What I do is I, I do bounce between two or three because my brain just doesn't seem to be able to focus for too long on one thing. It kind of drifts. And as soon as it's, it moves on, I have to go to my next project. And then I circle through them. It's the only way to keep my focus. I just don't have the brain that does sort of like, yeah, I can sit and focus for like, you know, three months. It's like, you'll get three weeks and then I'll have to go to the next one. And but lim limit yourself to those three then. It's great to work on multiple projects because they feed each other and they sometimes solve problems. And, and sometimes the characters kind of cross over or very similar. But when the fourth, fifth, sixth and seventh idea come in, write them on a card, put them on the wall and, and refuse to address them until you finish one of the others. Yes, I did. My, my partner's very good. He's quite, he's very, he's very supportive and everything like that. But every now and then he gets quite strict and it's like, no, you put that back. You have enough ideas. Just, I, I, what I do is I just create another Scrivener file 
put all the information that's in my head, dump it, and then it gets put into a folder I'm not allowed to look at. And I have to stay within the three because I, I think at one point I was on like six and it was just like, no, it's getting ridiculous. Although I have got to the point where sometimes I'll be writing a scene because I don't write in chapters. I don't write linearly. I see I write scenes as they come and I move them around. That's why I like Scrivener because you can kind of shift it. But what I would do is I would write a scene and then I'd be like, that doesn't really fit well. Oh, it'll fit into this novel. And I'd shift it across into a different one. And that's what I kind of like that you had this fluidity with it. I know not everyone writes like that. I know there's probably people listening to this going, oh my God, what are you talking about? You should start at chapter one and go in a line straight forward until you get to the end. At, at the end of the day, you, whoever's listening, you should write how you write. The most valuable thing you have to offer is your voice and your unique voice on a subject, on a character, on a style. Because if you're just writing genre the way everyone writes it, then you, there are people who are at the top of that game already. And they're there because they came naturally with their voice. So, Actually, that's a good point about voice. Because obviously there's three of you and you're writing this series and then moving into like, you know, from screenplay to a series. How how do you work with that getting, I mean, is it like an amalgam of, of your voices or does it create some sort of like singular voice? I don't know. What what, what would you say about that? Well, certainly um, when, we're, when I'm writing these stories that we're talking about here, the, the Rainy Day Investigation book series, um, whenever I'm getting into paranormal stuff, I rely heavily on Lloyd for that. I either go to his books or I say, hey, I need you to take a pass at this, this lecture uh, Professor Day is giving so that it sounds like she knows what she's talking about instead of the way I'm interpreting it. Yeah, and I teach a course on how, uh, to my students on how to talk about this stuff so that people know what, think you know what you're talking about. So. Yeah, so, so that comes out there. And then, uh, you know, Arnold's voice is always in the back of my head. We spent so many years together writing in the same room. And so, you know, it, you know it, there are times too when we're getting close where I, I call him up and run ideas by him and sort of get his feedback on the overall structure just to sort of like center me. Um, but yeah, the other thing too is I think a lot of the voices, specifically the voices of the characters come from people around me come from people I know, come from uh, actors I would cast in the book, come from uh, experiences I've had or conversations I've had in a store with somebody. And it's you, you, those little moments kind of like add up and you get to sort of release them in, into the world when you get the opportunity to. So it's, it's important to sort of, like Arnold said, make it your voice, but also give each character their own version of that voice so that when people read it, they can picture that character in their head and give it and give them their own features. I mean, that's one of the things I like about reading a book myself is like, I have pictures of what the characters look like in my head, especially if there's no picture of the characters on the cover, right? You, you have to sort of imagine that from the description. And if the description is not that detailed, then you kind of like get to sort of fill in all the details yourself. And, and that's what makes a great book for me is being able to immerse yourself into it and create the world that surround that, that it, generates inside of your head and when an author has that voice that allows you to do that that sort of is that combination of like here's the story and you can sort of take it and run with it in your brain oh that's that's fun i like that a lot that's great yeah i think um there's there's a lot to love about both like 
movies and books alike. They both have like their unique features, but they're also so similar at the same time. Like even when we were talking about the skills and you mentioned uh, strong dialogue and things like that, I feel like dialogue might be probably like the biggest thing that they have in common with each other. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, it's I mean, you watch a movie or you watch a TV show and, you know, a, a lot of the acting is done through speaking for the most part. And then when you read a book, yeah, you have like those big chunky paragraphs of description and things like that. But for I, for me, I can't speak for everybody, but I really enjoy books that are heavy on the dialogue. And I like seeing the back and forth between the few the characters. Yeah, that, well, that's that's certainly one of the things that the, what we did in the original screenplay for uh, the book Near Death that became Near Death, uh, and that is sort of translated into this is the banter between the characters, especially when you've got that sort of like, ooh, there's a little bit of romantic uh, interest between the two. Where is that going to go? Where's you know we can sort of see that in the dialogue when they're kind of is she flirting or not, or is she just making a joke? Is she like this with everybody? Yeah, it's it's the dialogue conveys so many of those things and creates all of those different aspects that you can sort of latch onto and like, go, oh, what's going to go on next? Who is she? Is she what, what does she really mean by? Like I was saying, sometimes you say what you mean, and sometimes you say what you don't mean. What you do mean is hidden in there somewhere. I'm a big fan of old time radio uh, shows and also more modern audio drama, and it's you know minimal narration and mostly dialogue going back yeah. and forth. It's how you get to know the characters. That's how you get to see their inter hear their interactions and then get a picture in your head of how they're interacting. So it's really important. Yeah, that's a great source to go to. Go go back and listen to some old-time radio shows or the CBS yeah. Radio Mystery Theater. I was always a big fan of those too. Yeah, I have to admit, I've never heard of any like um, over here anything, but I've seen them like done on TV programs. The idea of like being in a studio and everyone just running through a script and just having sound effects and that was it. Yeah, I think it's quite. I think that would be something that they should bring back more popularly because I think that would actually do well now. There, there are some very popular audio dramas. I mean, there are even uh, awards given out for them, and some of them are are amazing. I mean, they are literally movies for the mind in so many different ways. Some of them are much more simplistic. But there's a whole bunch out there that are great storytelling and great acting and great, great sound effects. And if I can make a plug for my podcast again, too, I, I do do like a lot of sound effects and I read it in an audiobook style, you know, different inflections for the different characters and stuff, too. So it's a lot it's a lot of fun to do. And it's it's really challenging, too. It's it's and, and there the, I, there's a lot of other um, audio dramas I listen to. Um, if you go to the Audioverse Awards, um, they have a a showcase you can go to a showcase podcast podcast where you can discover new ones so if anyone's interested in that great resource for that wow that's pretty good um yeah sound effects so they're they're definitely a lot of fun they they certainly add so much more to the immersion than when you're just you know acting it out for your dog <laughs> <laughs> yeah. maybe she'd stay maybe maybe she would <laughs> Uh, well, Rich, Arnold, and Lloyd, it has really been great having you guys on the show. I've learned a lot, and this was a really great, fun conversation. So before we go, would you guys like to share a little something about yourself? Yeah, well, for, for me, if you, go, you can go to richhosick.com for my solo stuff. You can go to bedtimestories.studio for my uh, fiction podcast. And then rainyandday.com, that's R-A-N-E-Y and D-A-Y-E.com for the Rainy and Day uh, Paranormal Mystery book series. 
Uh, the second book just came out recently. Third book hopefully is coming out later this year. And uh, you can find out uh, about all of us and all of our links are there as well. Oh, and, and sign up for our email list too. You get a free bookmark. Yeah. And I, um, I'm involved in a whole bunch of organizations. Uh, I teach courses for the Rhine Research Center's Education Center, which is Rhine, R-H-I-N-E-E-D-U.org. These are classes, online classes for the general public for the most part, although I have, I've had some of my colleagues even drop in on classes, which is interesting. I have. Uh, I'm president of the Forever Family Foundation, which is an organization that works with spirit mediums, especially in the family grieving process. And that's foreverfamilyfoundation.org. And I am just around for anything paranormal as it happens. Uh, I do a every other week kind of Ask Professor Paranormal Q&A, uh, which is on my author page. It's lloyd.auerbach.author on Facebook. Or you can find it on Rain, the Rainy and Day uh, Facebook page as well, since Rich kind of rebroadcasts it there. So, and people can follow me on Twitter. It's at Prof Paranormal, as in Professor Paranormal. That's my performing persona when I do mentalism, because I'm also a mentalist. Yeah. So Rich has me covered on, on the rainyanday.com website. I do have a small page, arnoldrudneck.com, uh, that talks about these books. And, and also, I've written a young adult book, ESP Sixth Grade Sense, about a sixth grader who could read minds. It doesn't really help a lot because they're changing all the time. And, uh, and then I also am passionate about literacy and I have a book called Little Green and his catchphrase is, isn't it possible? So isn'titpossible.com will also get you to my webpage and, and Little Green teaches animal groups, animal sounds, things that I hope kids will grow up learning and know that it's an army of frogs and not even know why they know that is from me. And I should mention also my books are on Amazon my nonfiction books, but also since you, if you look at my name, you'll find our books there as well on my uh, author page. Yeah. So Rachel, you should hit up Lloyd for any questions you have about paranormal yeah. stuff for your book. I absolutely will. Anytime. Yeah. I have a lot to go through in terms of all your links and where you guys are, <laughs> but yeah, no, I definitely will. Thank you. Um, so all of the links will be in the description below. And so please do go check out their work. Thank you guys again so much for joining us on the podcast. It really has been a delight. But in the meantime, we will turn it over to you guys. Have you tried writing a screenplay before? And how did it go? Let us know your answers in the comments so we can chat. And remember, we release a new episode every Wednesday. Next week, we're discussing finding a balance between writing and life. To ensure you don't miss it, hit the subscribe button on your way out. As always, thanks for listening to the Merry Writer Podcast, and we'll see you next week. This podcast is brought to you by Shiny Objects. We're easily distracted. The music titled Inspired is by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons 4.0.